0: church family. Good to see everyone here. Hope everyone is having a good New Year so far. Um, do want to give a shout out real quick. Uh, today I have a special guest. My, my dad from Texas is here visiting us today. And I don't do that just to tell people my life business, but um, or nor to embarrass him. Uh, more of a praise, about a year ago, you don't remember, uh, we got a call on a Friday night. He had a brain aneurysm that uh, was led to a stroke that put him in the hospital. We drove down on a Friday night and uh, he was put in ICU on a ventilator for Uh, almost a month and a half. And to be honest, never thought we'd see him in this state again. And uh, our church stepped up and spent a lot of time praying for him. I know some of y'all wrote them letters. And I just tell you that as a praise of what God has done here. And so I just want to thank you on his behalf. He's talked to me so much from the church. So now my goal is not to bore him in a sermon and keep him awake the whole time. So uh, we're going to see what we can do with that. But He did tell me right before I went up, he said, you know, a good preacher preaches for at least an hour. Um, I said, good thing I'm not a good preacher, so we don't got to worry about that today, do we? Uh, Making it through. So, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll be there in just a bit. Um, And uh, we'll we'll jump into a new series I'm excited to be in. 1 Timothy chapter 1, it's in the New Testament, if you don't know. Um, If you don't find it, you can go to the index of your Bible and look in there. As we're jumping into this, I want to ask this just to get some thoughts moving into uh, what we're going to try to talk about today. Uh, With the person you came with or someone around you, if you feel comfortable doing this, can you answer this question? What gets your family riled up the most? This might be a hot-button issue, but hey, let's kick it off strong. What gets your family riled up the most? Is it politics, sports teams? Is it the house cleaning? I don't know what it is. outlaws, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Take a quick second. What is the thing that gets your family riled up the most? And listen, we're in a church, so we're going to have grace. Whatever you said, we're not going to hold a grudge and leave you angry today, okay? So take a quick second, answer that question. I heard that. So happens you sit front row? You can hear everything said up here. For those of you who don't have great hearing like I did in the front row, my wife sitting over here as well whispered not so well to uh, to right in front of her that my Eric cheating at board games. Uh, I wish I was lying about this in my notes right now. I said you want to know what gets our family riled up is board games. <laughs> that's how that's how truth lives. You you want to see a family fight break out in our household? Get us playing a board game together. Because how it goes every time is like this. My, my wife is the rule enforcer that makes sure we're following the rules of what's going on. Everything comes up. She's, at, she's looking at the rules see what's going on. Dad, on the other hand, is win at all costs. Rules apply only when you're paying attention. If you're not, man, you snooze, you lose. And my kids in this situation are somewhere in the crossfire of what's going on. They sometimes see what dad's doing, like we win at all costs. They see mom doing. Normally by the end of the night, we are angry and fighting. Like every Friday we'll try to have some sort of family fun night, game night. They this will be great. And we end the night hating one another. I mean like that's how it goes. It's like these do not serve the purpose they should. I share that with this mind in mind. Don't we sometimes see the same thing in the church? In the church, you get these divides where people are like, well, this is what the rules say. This is what the Bible says. We should do this. Others are like, yeah, yeah, you're getting lost. It doesn't matter. Let's just win people to Christ. Let's get more people here. It doesn't really matter. Why are we make it a big deal about it? And the other people are crossing the cross, uh, caught in the crosshairs of it going, I don't know where to stand. What's going on? And the church begins to divide over issues that was never meant to divide over. It's interesting, when you read the Bible, the letters written by Paul and stuff to churches, every single letter at some point addresses divisions in the church. That's a common thread that, uh, that plagues the church, is divisions going on. We, we end up finding ourselves playing by different rules, having a different focus or a different goal. It really wouldn't be nice if we had a manual, some sort of guidance on what it looks like as a church, what, what should our track be, what should we all line up together. Well, I, I tee you up for that with this in mind because we're starting a new series that's actually going to take us from January all the way to April through the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is exactly that book. It's a letter written to a young man in Timothy, we'll talk about it here and minute, to, to give guidance on how to lead the church and what it should look like. It's, it's a guidance. As a matter of fact, for years it's been known as a pastoral epistle, which you have th- three of them, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, giving almost a leader's manual to church leaders on what it looks like to lead the church. And so we're going to walk through it for our church and say, what truth do you have for us? And specifically, over the next five weeks in Timothy, as we walk through, the focus is, uh, as titled, you saw on the screen, upon this rock. Like, what are the foundational markers that must define Or guide the church. And First Timothy is going to give us that. Now, some of you have probably read First Timothy and said, this doesn't really apply to me, this is for a pastor or someone. Some of you have never known First Timothy, but never read through it. Some of you are like, who's Timothy? You're in good company. Regardless, we're going to cover it together, all together. And so today for our first part, it might seem very boring, but it's very important to understanding the letter. It's an introduction to First Timothy. Understand who it is, who wrote it, who it's written to, what's going on, why it's being written, so that we can better understand and appreciate the rest of the letter. And so we'll look at the author, recipient, context, and purpose. So if you have your Bibles, hopefully you do. If you don't, find a friend next to you and just peek over their shoulder. First Timothy, we're going to read verses 1 through 2, and then we're actually going to skip over to chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, because I actually think that serves as the thesis of what Paul is trying to get at with this letter. Okay? So, First Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. It's a long read, so stick with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did I lose anybody yet? Hopefully not. Okay. Skip on over to First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. I want you just to listen to what he says there as well because we'll come back to this as well. Paul writes this, But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth, and most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on the world, and taken up in glory. All right, uh, no more needs to be preached. Let's start the invitation. Let's wrap this up and call it a day. Dad, I'm sorry, it's not quite an hour. uh, No. (laughs) Wow. Now, that sounded like a back row Baptist in there. I don't know who it was. It was awful far back there, so... um, Let's, let's walk through, let's talk for first part, let's talk about author-recipient context because you need to understand what kind of letter this is. Often we read scripture with a wrong understanding of the genre it is. For example, we were joking in class today about someone reading Leviticus. If you've ever read Leviticus, Leviticus is not a narrative. You don't pick it up and read it like a story, it's not, it's law. You pick it up and read it like it's law, and if you read it from the wrong perspective, it's confusing If you read Psalms and Proverbs, for example, as a narrative, like this is a story, it's not a story, it's going to be confusing to you, it's poetry, it's wisdom literature. First Timothy is a letter to a church, it's guidance, it's understanding, it's it's giving clarity, saying, hey church, this is how you do it, it's a personal letter. And so we start with who wrote it, well he tells us in verse 1, look, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior, and Christ Jesus our hope. Paul writes it. Tradition is Paul writes it. Now I'll tell you this, you go and read uh, commentaries and look, they will tell you that we don't know for sure who wrote it, but we think Paul wrote it. That's a good inference because it says Paul wrote it. Nearly every letter of the Bible, we don't have 100% certainty, we have assumptions that strongly point to who it is. We believe it's Paul that wrote it, but I want to point out little things he says. He addressed himself as an apostle. Now some of you may have heard that term, some of you may not. You might say, what is an apostle? An apostle is one who has been sent, is what it means. It's one who's been sent to establish and get the church going. In, in Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 21 through 22, after Jesus' is ascended and stuff, they decide they need to find people who are going to now go and start the church and get it going. And so they make sure they have 12 apostles that are going out to start the church. And their criteria was that it had to be people who had been with Jesus before when he was alive and walked on the face of the earth, who had seen the resurrected Jesus Christ as well. They were the people who could go and witness what's going on. You, you have to think in frame of mind that in this time, when they first started, like in Acts chapter 1 verse, uh, and 20, they didn't have the New Testament Bible. So the authority of God's word came from men's mouth who had seen it themselves. They, they needed something like that to establish church. The interesting thing, while well, I'm telling you this long thing, is that Paul doesn't technically meet that criteria, but yet he calls himself an apostle. He called himself apostle because he had a supernatural experience with God, and God called him an apostle. You're going to go and, be, and send my church. You're going to do this. And throughout many of his letters, people question whether or not Paul should be known as an apostle, and Paul routinely is like, yes, I am, to establish his authority. He's letting them know who he is. And so he says, I'm an apostle. Now, now, the more important thing I want you to see is this, is why does he say an apostle? Why does he say that? Uh, understand this, he's writing it to a young man named Timothy, we'll get to here in a second. It, it's, it's a personal letter to Timothy, and yet he's dropping credentials. Think about that for a second. When me and my wife were in high school, uh, we dated, and that was really pre-texting and stuff like that, which dates myself for some, and some were like, yeah, join the club. And so we would write what's called letters to each other, and we would exchange them. And beauty of it is she would neatly fold on these origami things that I would spend hours trying to figure out how to unopen and, and do all sorts of stuff. But we would correspond letters that we would exchange at church on Sundays and Wednesdays to each other. And when I would write her a letter, I had a phrase I would call her, don't judge me, we were in love, okay? And I would tell her, I'd say, hey babe, how you doing? And I'd start talking stuff through that. Now, Now, just by the opening of what's being said there, you can tell that this is a familiar letter. If I wrote Grant a letter I said, hey, baby, like, this is kind of awkward. <laughs> if I open a letter with dear Emily, it's like, well, that can still be it. But what if I said, dear Mrs. Emily Harris, it's more formal, right? Well, what if I wrote her a letter that said, to whom it may concern? That's a weird way to open a personal letter, right? But Paul starts his letter in a very formal way, a personal letter. Why does he do that? Because Paul understands, and we'll get to who Timothy is here in a second, this is not a person, he's writing it to Timothy, but it's meant for the church. And Timothy, who's a pastor of this church, is going to get this letter, get up in front of the church and read it, and Paul is establishing his credentials, so when Timothy reads it, they look at Timothy in a different light. Do you understand that? Paul's telling us a whole bunch, we'll get to in a second, about what type of letter this is. He's giving authority and support to Timothy. The second thing I want you to see is not just who wrote it, we see Paul, the Apostle Paul, but the recipient, recipient, he says to who? To Timothy, my true son in the faith. We know from reading Acts, Acts is a narrative of the start of the church, what's going on, and often if you read these letters to the churches corresponding, you begin to make sense of what's going on. And we believe that Timothy was a young man who was converted in Lystra. You see in Acts chapter 14, verse 6 through 23, where Paul goes and has all this stuff going on and begins to convert the church. They try to kill Paul and stone him to death. Imagine being a convert of that. You see this guy who comes and preaches gospel. People try to kill him. Like, sign me up with what that dude's doing. I want that right there. But yet Timothy, they believe, is one of these guys. We know as well from the letters that Timothy comes from an interesting background. He has a Jewish mom and a Gentile Greek father. It means nothing to you nowadays, but back in this time and culture, that was a no-no. Families don't mix like that. Jewish people marry Jewish people. Gentiles were outsiders. He, he was a mixed-blood person. But yet we find out that through the raising of his mother, who came and converted himself, Timothy is raised in the Lord. So he, Paul, through his letter, tells us about Timothy— my my true son, the faith. In other words, he's one of my converts. Timothy is one of the guys that was led by Christ to Paul, by Paul. We find out later in Acts chapter 16, Timothy begins growing in his walk with the Lord and begins walking and and joining Paul on his journeys to start the church. Timothy becomes Paul's right-hand man. It's like a father-son type relationship and Paul loves Timothy. But Paul's writing to Timothy in a specific situation. Let's talk about what's going on. And 1 Timothy right here, this letter he writes, Timothy is in Ephesus, a church which is around modern-day Turkey, if you will. And he writes to, uh, to Timothy about uh, leading this church. He's supposed to lead this church, and Timothy's a young man. Some scholars believe around 30 years old or stuff, which in their time, and even in my context, is still young for a pastor and leader. And people are giving him all sorts of trouble. As a matter of fact, he's having so much trouble, Paul, before he leaves, realizes they may have trouble. Listen to what he tells the church in Acts chapter 20 before he leaves. He said, be on guard for yourselves for all the flock, being the church. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even among your own number and distort the truth for the lure of disciples are following them. He's like, I know there are people waiting in the wings that are going to stir up controversy, and as soon as I leave, you're going to have a battle on your hands. And he leaves. But before he leaves, he lives who? His right-hand man at the church of Ephesus to help lead it. Now, now picture this. Timothy's a young guy leading a church who people are looking at him constantly going, you don't know anything, young man. And we know this about, too, Timothy's kind of timid. Just from reading the letter, we'll look in there. Paul constantly has to encourage him. Paul has to remind him, says, hey, don't forget your calling, man. Don't forget what we saw in you. God called you to this. We get the idea that Timothy wants to leave. He's like, stay there until I come. Don't quit. Don't give up. We get the idea that Timothy even has a weak stomach. Later on in the letter, you're going to have fun with this one, Paul tells him, says, I heard you have stomach problems. Listen, stop drinking water. Drink a little wine. It's good for the stomach. Not something you hear in a Baptist church too much, right? You come to Eric the Pastor, like my stomachs are like, hey, we got some vodka in the fridge. That might help you calm it down a little bit. You guys might fire me on the spot for that. But he's telling Timothy, why is this? Because Timothy, I think, is going through a very difficult time in a difficult church. And so y- you have to put yourself in mind, Timmy is either losing confidence and wanting to leave. And so Paul, from Macedonia, writes him a letter to encourage him. But he writes it in a formal way, not just to encourage him, but to let everyone know, like, this is my guy. He has my stamp of approval. He means something to me. And you treat him with the same respect as though I were there with him. There, there's authority here. Imagine Timothy getting that when you just, you're done. And he opens this letter. He's like, man, I needed that breath of encouragement. I needed that backing. And that's what's going on here. And so we see all this going on. We see all this. But what, why is Paul writing this letter? Well, I go back to First Timothy chapter 3. Because I want you to see that. And I think it comes to what our big idea is. Paul tells him this. I want to read it one more time. He says, but I, First uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, he says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let me just say this. The big idea that I think he's getting with this whole letter is this right here. God has a way he wants his church ran. He has a way. And, and so for us, it is inappropriate for us to come decide for ourselves how we want the church done because God has a plan. It's no difference in me playing games like, yeah, I know Monopoly's supposed to play like this, but if I pass go 32 times in my own day, I get a lot of money, and that sounds a lot more fun. I don't get to make the rules of what's going on. God has a plan, and so what do we do with this? Now, I tee you up with this mindset and get that in your frame of mind, because here's the thing. When we read 1 Timothy, we need to remember a few things. Because if you approach this letter wrong, you will dismiss what's going on, you will tune out and miss a letter that is very important to all of us. The first and foremost I want you to see is this. I want you to see that Timothy is the authoritative. Amen, sister, I like it. Timothy is the authoritative word of God. 1 Timothy is the authoritative word of God. He says it there in the beginning. I've written, so what? So you will know how to conduct yourselves in God's household. When you read 1 Timothy, you need to understand there are aspects of 1 Timothy that will be difficult to digest. And our world has taken text and say, I don't think that's applicable anymore. I don't think that's truth anymore. I think that's contextual. I don't think this matters to us. It doesn't. This is not authoritative. This is what the early church quickly saw is the authoritative word of God. And when we read First Timothy, we need to be careful about reading it and just immediately dismissing it as not valuable, not important, or not applicable to us today. But like, I understand this. First Timothy is the inerrant word of God. Inerrant means it has no mistakes. God made sure that this is what he was to have. I love one of my commentaries called the Christ Center Exposition Commentary. said this, men are not inerrant, but God's word is. There are many churches today they're defining for themselves what church should be. defining for themselves what the gospel should be. Defining for themselves what truth is. But God has given us his word, his inerrant word to help guide us. And when we get off track, guess what? We read God's word to correct and bring us back. We have to bring us back. And so we have to be careful dismissing texts when we come across it that are difficult to pout, to taste, to swallow, to take in. And so the question I ask you this is. Will you allow First Timothy to have authority, authority over you? Think about that for a second. When we come to these texts, will you honestly sit back and go, what, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for our leadership? Are we doing this right? I think of a time uh, when I was Emily and I just got married and graduated college. We um, went off to a small town in Afton, Oklahoma, I felt called to this church to go serve. They could afford to pay me, but we knew that's where we were called to go. Emily was our breadwinner, being a school teacher, and so we were extremely wealthy. Uh, and on top of that, I had to go make uh, ends meet, drove a school bus for a living for a public school, which if you don't know, I've come to believe our punishment for previous sins. <laughs> I drove a school bus with kids on my bus from pre-K all the way through senior and high school. I had a bus that held 50, but yet somehow we crammed 70 kids on my bus. Now at the school district, you get on that bus and kids go, it is deafening screaming like this they just scream and i'm driving stop sit, stop, sit, stop stop don't, don't you? i mean don't pee in the seat don't do that i mean like just yelling at kids every day i would take a kid to the office the principal and i said jimmy here did this and they go jimmy don't do that and go, okay and next day he do it again there was zero authority in what i did And so I got to where I hate to say this. I got to where I had to make the decision. Am I going to watch these kids 24-7 or make sure I'm driving safe? And I had to get to where honestly, I had to ignore the kids on the bus and just drive the bus. Now, 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 after a year of doing this, the local VoTech needed a school bus driver. They had double the pay. They had nicer buses, less kids. I applied for that job and got that one. It was awesome. I drove a short bus with air conditioning. You can say whatever you want. It had air conditioning. It was awesome. Now, I would go pick up kids... And I'll never forget picking up these high school kids that went to the Votech to learn career opportunities for them. I had this one kid that was 16 years old that would sit on the back of my bus, and he would chew tobacco, and he would spit in my trash can. And I'd look at him, and I said, stop spitting in my trash can, I'm tired of cleaning that up. And after about five, ten times getting on to him, I said, that's it, you're standing on the bus, we're going to the main office. I had been groomed into the public school system where they go and say, don't do it again, and you go on through your life. I walk in with this kid to the principal's office and I said, this kid will stop spitting on my bus, doing this, thinking they're going to tell him to quit. The principal looked at him and says, pack your stuff up, go home, don't ever come back. I looked at him, the kid looks at me, the kid starts crying and he goes, Who? and he goes, no, this is a privilege to come here. We don't have to let you come. You are not welcome back. The kid walked off crying. I said, I was not planning on that. I'm used to you just doing nothing. To be honest, at my previous thing, I said, I'm just wanting to scare this kid. I know this kid, he probably doesn't stand much of a chance. This, this is his only chance in life for a career. Please don't. I begin begging for this kid to get an opportunity again. The guy says, if he want to, he lets him on. I go and tell this kid, I convinced the principal to let him stay. That kid for the next year cleaned my bus for me every time. He made sure I look at Like, listen, it was amazing. He was following. I suddenly had authority. I, I tell you this long story for this point. Timothy has the same thing. It's easy for us to look at it and treat it like an Afton school bus driver and go, "It has no authority." Yeah, I heard you. Who cares? I'm doing my own thing. When in reality, we have to read it and look at our life and say, "Man, I, I need to follow this. God's word is applicable to me." Which brings me to my second point on what you see. Now, not only First Timothy, the authoritative Word of God, but First Timothy is for the church. It's a personal letter written to Timothy, and, and we call it pastoral epistles, which make people believe that's for Eric and church leadership, but, but it's not. It's for the church. All the language throughout is clear. This is meant for the church. Everybody that's in here today, it's meant for you to hear. He even says it in here. Look what he says. He says, ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. You might say, why should I listen to any of this? Why do I care? Why does it matter to me? The importance of the church to the world. You have to understand that. Why is our church important to the world? He tells us something. He says the church is the what? The church of the living God. We are where people come to see God. Do you understand that? People who don't spend time with God outside, who don't know, they're coming here to see God. And God says when they come here, he should be seen. The Bible tells us we two or more gathered in my name. There I am also. People come here because they want to see God. And if only church leadership takes these words and cares about them, guess what? We're neglecting our ability to showcase God to the world. Now, I love what another commentary said this. It says the church is the place where God lives and dwells and manifests his presence. Consider how significant this makes our weekly gatherings. We are his house. And one fractured area of the house can make it all look bad. One roof leak in the corner can draw attention and neglect all the good things going on. It's for the church. It's also, look what else, why is this important to us? Because look, he said, not only is it uh, uh, the church's living God, he says, but it's also the pillar and foundation of truth. Believe it or not, when people come here, we are a measuring stick of truth for them. They're looking for truth and if we define it ourselves, they follow in suit with what they see. We have to be faithful to the truth because people are looking for us to define the truth for them. And if you have just church leadership caring about it, listen, we are faulty men ourselves. And we gotta make sure everyone's keeping an account and say, listen, we have to have the appropriate measuring stick of truth. He, he also says, look, and most certainly the mystery of godliness. But what, what is the mystery of God? That's a weird phrase. It's not a mystery and it doesn't make sense or it's unsolved or difficult. A mystery means this. In the Old Testament, they were waiting for this Messiah, the Savior, to come. But in the New Testament, guess what? Jesus was the answer to the mystery. We have the answer. In other words, when people come into this church, we are where people can see the gospel in action. How do I know Jesus can save me? Because he saved Eric, and look at that mess up. He saved these people right here. He saved all, like we are redeemed people trying to redeem other people. And we're striving for that. And if you don't buy that and all you care about is find a church that looks pretty, that makes me happy, that has cool music, that has good coffee, or a great kids program, you're missing what we're trying to get here. We're trying to showcase God, not ourselves. And so we have to take First Timothy seriously. So in other words, I'm saying this, don't tune out because it's relevant for everyone. Let me ask you like this. Will you let 1 Timothy guide the church? Will you let 1 Timothy guide you? The last thing I want you to see is this. And please don't miss this. This It's so important. 1 Timothy is gospel-focused. There there are aspects of 1 Timothy that seem harsh, seem rigid, seem unloving. But the whole emphasis is to point us back to Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. As a matter of fact, that's what he just said. The mystery of the gospel, or the godliness, is great. T- Timothy is trying to uh, attempt to redirect us to where we drifted off. I don't know who loves flying or going on cruise ships, but it's amazing when they fly and go on cruise they generally pick a straight line they go to, and they constantly have to check their course of action because if they barely get off just a few degrees in a short time, it seems like nothing. But after a long-stant time continuing going down the wrong direction, what happens? They get miles and miles and miles of off course. It's too easy for us in the world we live today to redefine the gospel to what we want it to be, to whatever we want to be in our own eyes and image. Your truth is your truth and doesn't matter to me, and we miss out and we come to get off course. you don't believe me, go read the news about church denominations splitting left and right as they're defining for themselves what is truth and what is the gospel. And 1 Timothy is bringing us back saying, no, this is where it's at. This is where it's at. So my last question to you is this. Will you let First Timothy recenter you to the gospel? That's what the book's about. He's trying to bring it back. The, the big idea of this whole letter that you have to hand, God has a way he wants the church ran. Will you let him do it? Will you let him do it? A, a church driven by God glorifies God. But can I tell you a church driven by us glorifies us? And, and I'm not here to take shots of the church because those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But you need to understand, there's a lot of churches we're attracted to because they look a lot like us. And we celebrate the accomplishments of men. We celebrate the accomplishments of gifted speakers, gifted worship, gifted programs, gifted people. And what do they see? That church is the church. Eric's the pastor. That, that's what it is. No, this is God's church. And when they come, they should see God. And if they don't, we are failing miserably. And First Timothy is getting us back on track to that. It's it's a long introduction to what I'm trying to say. Will you let First Timothy speak to you? Because I know for a fact it's going to challenge the leaders of We've been talking about it. But it's going to challenge the congregation of this church to come and say, Are are we living up to what he's saying here? Will I take in? Will I follow what's going on? so, so just who, who does North Point glorify? Do people celebrate our pastors? Do people come and celebrate our programs? Do people come and celebrate our people? I love that people love you. listen, if, if they see you and miss Jesus, they've missed it. Or do people come here and glorify God because of what's going on? We've we got to do that. For, for some of you today, this is your first time ever in church, and you, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is all foreign to you. And you need to understand right now, our desire and goal is that you see Jesus in everything we're doing, in our worship, in our preaching, in our communion we're going to take here in a bit. Why? Because we believe Jesus Christ can save you. And some of you are completely oblivious to the need to be saved. You don't realize it. You're you're heading for a death sentence. You don't realize. You don't realize that you've sinned against the holy God, but God loved you so much that even in your ignorance and stuff like that, even in your lack of knowledge, God still sent his son to die on the cross for your sins, and if you would simply come and place your faith in him, he can save you. You don't have to be perfect. How do I know? Because take a second and look at me. I'm not perfect. God has redeemed me, and he can save you. But you have to respond. No one can make that decision for you. And so will you respond? And so I'm going to ask this, wherever you're sitting, I'm going to ask you just to take a second, as Grant Grant asked at the beginning, what do you have to say to me? Take a second and reflect on that. Just bow your heads and close your eyes to remove distractions and say, God, everything that was just told to me and I spoke to me, what are you trying to tell me? If you're the person that's sounding my voice, that's realizing that you don't know it's Jesus Christ, maybe God's trying to get your attention that you need him, and today's the day you can respond to that. Maybe you've been a Christian your whole life, you've been part of a church, and you have gone so far down the road that you've defined church for yourself, and you have no idea what God's word says about church. And today, God needs to clear your plate of your pre uh, expectations of church and allow him to set the table. Will you do that? So your head bowed, eyes closed. Ask this one question today to God right here. God, How do you want me to respond today? Father God, I love you. I pray for our church, this journey we're about to take, that you would humble all of our hearts. I pray that pride would not be a word to describe us when we approach your word, but humility would. Allow us to learn what your word says about us, says about you, and let that be the most important thing. God, I pray North Point and the churches around us would be known for you and not our programs, our size, our personalities. But when people come here, they would see a bunch of redeemed people that would point to you. God, I pray for the sound of my voice has not come to a point in their life where they have professed their faith in you and given their life to you. This whole idea of newly be saved is foreign to them. And they're like, I don't understand this. So need, I need clarity, God. Give them the confidence to come talk to one of us today. We won't force them into any decision, but God, we want to tell them the truth of what your word says. So I pray, respond. God, I love you because you're faithfulness. I love you because you still have stuff for us to do. And God, you're not done with your point. You're not done with us. Use us. Help us respond now to what you've laid on our heart. Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going we're to worship here in just a second. Before you stand up, I just, I just want to let you know, listen, some of you right now have, might have something convicted in your heart, like, man, that really spoke to me. I need to talk to someone. I need, I need accountability. I need, a I need to talk to somebody about that. And one of the ways that can help with that is just coming right now to talk to one of our leaders and say, can you pray with me? Can you explain to me? Can you help me with this? And that's what it is. And so we have elders in the middle. We've got Pete Sweeger, one of our We've got Bradley Cox. We've got uh, J.D., Courtney in the back. We, we got Steve Riley, one of our deacons. we got others around in the middle I, I, Please get up and come talk to one of us. We, we are here for you. We would love nothing more than to walk you through what life change could be. But you respond. So I'm going to ask if you stand. We're going to sing together and worship together. And if you feel called to respond and talk to someone, you come up and talk to one of these leaders and do that.